Hi, this is Sandy, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's Sunday, June 18th. And this is your Sunday sermon. Also, a very happy and blessed Father's Day to all the dads, as well as those of you who have had to do or are doing double duty, so to speak, being both mom and dad. We love you and are grateful to you. We're a little more than halfway through our sermon series called Getting There. Now, once again, if you're just joining us, the whole idea behind this series is that we're looking for ways that we can make forward progress. In other words, we want to get there to become more spiritually mature. Today is part six. We're going to be looking at Psalm 128, and we're going to talk about three keys to being a successful father. There's a lot to talk about, but as we always do, let's take a moment and pray. Almighty and most merciful Heavenly Father, God, we praise your holy name today. Lord, I thank you for this chance to be able to share your word with those that have come to listen. Lord, bless them. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Proverbs 31 tells about the value of a virtuous wife and mother. One woman has taken those thoughts from the chapter and applied them to her husband and the father of her children. This is what she wrote. Who can find a virtuous man, for his worth is far above chocolate? The heart of his wife safely trusts him, for he will not mess around with bimbos. He does her good and not evil all the days of his life. He seeks motor oil and socket wrenches and willingly works with his hands. He rises when it is yet night, and makes coffee for her household, and feedeth the cats. He considers a stock and buys it. From his profits he invests in a mutual fund. He girds himself with sensitivity, and learns the art of listening. He perceives that his benefits are good, and his lamp does not go out by night unless, of course, his beloved desires his presence. He extends his hand to the poor. Yes, he reaches out his hand to the needy. He is not afraid of snow for his household, for all his household is stocked with batteries, a kerosene heater, and kitty litter for icy spots. He takes an interest in the laundry, and, yea, can wield an iron and can spray starch and his socks match. He remembers birthdays and writeth his own cards and helps with the Christmas shopping and wrapping. He watches not over muchly of sporting events and does not eat the potato chips of idleness. His children rise up and call him Daddy, especially when his wife is down with the flu. His wife also, as she praises him, saying, I can't believe you did the dishes all by yourself. Charm is deceitful and hunkiness is passing, but a man who fears the Lord, he shall be praised. Let his works praise him in the women's group. Now that woman obviously had a high regard for her husband, and the Bible tells us God also has a high regard for godly husbands and fathers. Back in the days of Genesis, godly fathers and husbands were the leaders, priests, and prophets of their homes. When they pronounced a blessing or a curse, those blessings and curses carried weight with God. These fathers spoke and things happened. I believe God told us the stories of these men and their families so that we would see the powerful influence godly fathers and husbands can have in their homes. Psalm 128 repeats a common theme in scripture, and that theme is, God has a very high regard for dads. Why? Because earthly fathers are the model of our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. As Dr. James Lamb once wrote, God loves fathers. 
He is one. So open your Bible or Bible app right now to Psalm 128, and let's see exactly what God says. Follow along as I read. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. As you can see in this psalm, God tells earthly fathers that he wants to bless their families and make them strong. He wants to make their homes to be safe and happy places. He's telling fathers that they can get there, in other words, and he gives them some things to ensure that result. So what can fathers do to be successful? What can they do to obtain God's blessing? Well, here's the first thing. Godly fathers have to want their homes to succeed. Notice the location of the blessings listed in this Psalm, verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. Notice it's within your home and around your table. Too many men find their greatest joys at work, in recreation, possessions, etc. Now, as breadwinners, we men have to work. We just can't be at home all the time. And there's nothing wrong with having some recreation time, playing golf, bowling, going fishing, things like that. Nor is there anything particularly wrong with possessions that you enjoy having around. But we need to realize that the attraction of those aspects of our lives, the job, recreation, possessions, can distract us from our priority of our homes and families. William Willimon told about an adult Sunday school class where they were studying about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. The teacher asked, how are we tempted today? A young salesman was first to speak. Temptation is when your boss calls you in, as mine did yesterday, and says, I'm going to give you a real opportunity. I'm going to give you a bigger sales territory. We believe you're going places, young man. But I don't want a bigger sales territory, the young salesman told his boss. I'm already away from home four nights a week. It wouldn't be fair to my wife and daughter. Look, his boss replied, we're asking you to do this for your wife and daughter. Don't you want to be a good father? It takes money to support a family these days. Sure, your little girl doesn't take much money now, but think of the future. Think of her future. I'm only asking you to do this for them, the boss said. The young man paused and then told the class, now that's temptation. In order to have a God-blessed home, fathers need to make their home a priority. That doesn't mean we're always going to be successful at that. Sometimes we're not going to understand everything we ought to do in order to be effective fathers, but that's why God gave us wives. They can help us focus on our goal. And another thing I noticed in this psalm about how a father can be successful is that it emphasized walking with God. Look again at verse 1. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways, it said. The Bible talks a lot about how we walk. It emphasizes walking with God, walking in his ways and walking in his laws, his ordinances and his statutes. The whole idea is that we should want to walk with God. Back in Genesis, we're told that God came down and walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. There's an old hymn that has always reminded me of that sweet time. Adam with God in the garden. It goes like this. Sing it with me if you know it. And he walks with me and he talks with me. 
and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. If you recognize that, it's from the hymn in the garden. But as I thought about that hymn this past week, it occurred to me that the impression it had always given me was that God wanted to walk with me. But actually, that's never really been a problem for God. God has always wanted to walk with his people. The problem really is his people rarely seem to want to walk with him. Fathers who want God's blessings in their homes have to decide that they are going to take the time to be walking and talking with God and telling him that they want him to be their own. Fathers need to have a personal Bible study. They need to spend time alone in prayer. They should be going to church, going to Bible study, and they need to fellowship with other Christians whenever they can. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Every time you and I spend time with God's people, we're walking with God, because that's what Jesus promised. A godly father who wants God's blessings makes walking with God a priority, and he models that priority for his family to copy. Larry Crabb tells about watching his father pray when he was about four years old. It was Sunday morning and about 50 people gathered in a circle at our Lord's Supper service. The elements covered simply with a white cloth were on the table in the middle. The arrangement was intentional. It spoke of Christ as the center of our thoughts. Dad stood to pray. I was lying on the floor looking up at him. Even now the memory is clear. I thought to myself, he actually thinks he's talking to someone, and whoever it is means more to him than anyone else. Without even thinking about it, Larry Crabb's father modeled what his priorities were for his young son. He walked with God at the communion table, and his actions spoke to his son walking, talking, and claiming God as his own. Now there's one more thing in this passage that earthly fathers need to consider. Now there's one more thing in this passage that earthly fathers need to consider to be successful, but it's one of the most difficult concepts for men to wrap their minds around, and that is this, fear the Lord. Look again with me at verses 1 and 2 of the psalm. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Essentially, what this is saying is, fear the Lord and you will receive his blessings. Now, there are some who have a problem with the idea of fearing God. They try to tone down the words. They'll say this phrase means to reverence God or respect God or be devout with God. Some translations will use those words rather than fear. So I did an extensive word study on this phrase as I wanted to find out what this phrase really meant. And when I looked at this passage in Psalm 128, I found the Hebrew phrase is Yahweh Yahweh. Yahweh was the word in question. So I looked up every place this phrase was found in scripture. And you know what I discovered? The term Yahweh Yahweh means fear the Lord. The idea behind the Hebrew word Yahweh is fear, and it's not respect, not reverence, it's not even being devout. It means fear. In Genesis 27, Jacob cheated his brother Esau out of his inheritance and then fled for his life because his brother Esau said he would kill him. Fourteen years later, Jacob returns to his home, and Genesis 32:11 tells us Jacob prayed, O Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. Jacob feared Esau, and he prayed that God would deliver him from his brother's hand. That's not respect or reverence, folks. That's fear. In Exodus, we're told of God bringing the ten plagues upon Egypt. 
In Exodus 9, verse 20, it says that in response to one of those plagues, Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said and protected their cattle from the plague. That's not respect or reverence. That's fear. Then in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, God said that certain people didn't have to go to war. The verse reads, Is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. So the idea of Yahweh is fear. Fear the Lord. The scripture says God will bless you if you do. Psalm 103.11 says, For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Psalm 103.13 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Psalm 34, verse 7 and 9 says, For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. So let's review. If I fear God, I am assured that he loves me, that he has compassion for me, that he assigns an angel to protect me, and he will make sure I lack for nothing. Hey, I'm good with that. I'll take all that God wants to give me. But let's get down to the heart of the matter, shall we? What does it mean to fear God? First of all, fearing God means fearing his disapproval more than anyone else's. Back in the days of Jezebel, it was a frightening thing to be a prophet of God. She killed them wherever she could find them. According to 1 Kings, there was a man named Obadiah who was employed by Jezebel and her husband, King Ahab. We're told in 1 Kings 18 verses 3 and 4 that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets, then hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. In other words, Obadiah feared God more than he feared Jezebel. As frightening and as dangerous as Jezebel was, Obadiah realized she was not nearly as big and bad as God was. So a man who fears God properly does what is right even when faced with things that could make him afraid partly because right is right and wrong is wrong, but more to the point, they do what is right because they realize there is nothing on earth that is nearly as strong and dangerous as their God can be. As Oswald Chambers once wrote, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Or as Psalm 118 verses 4 through 8 says, let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. The second aspect of fearing God is understanding that we don't mess with him. We don't take him for granted and we don't get him mad. As an example, the book of 1 Samuel tells us about a time when the priests of Israel were wicked men. They were the sons of Eli, the priest, and their names were Hophni and Phinehas. At the time, Israel was at war with the Philistines, and the army of Israel felt the need to have God's presence with them at the battlefront. So they asked Hophni and Phinehas to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the battle. What happened? They lost the battle. The priests were killed and the Ark was stolen by the Philistines. Why did this happen? Because the leaders of the family of Israel, the wicked priests, thought they could live any way they wanted and still count on God to help them fight their battles. When I was a boy, my dad had boundaries. There were lines you just didn't cross. 
and if I crossed those lines, there was a price to pay and punishment would be administered. Now, did I fear my dad? Absolutely, but only if I crossed the lines, or even if I was just considering crossing those lines. Did I love my dad? Sure did. I knew he was being as fair as he could be. He had set his boundaries because they were right boundaries, and I knew he really wanted what was best for me. As Hebrews 12 verses 9 and 10 says, Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. So as earthly fathers, it's important for us to know where God's boundaries are at. Like I shared with you last week, we need to know where God draws the line. Fearing God is knowing where he's drawn the lines and determining to draw those same lines in our lives and homes. So let's review. If I want to be a godly father and receive all the blessings he wants to give my family, then there are three keys. Number one, I need to make my family a priority. Number two, I need to determine to walk with God and be with him whenever possible. And number three, I need to have a proper fear of God, to fear him more than anything or anyone else in this life. Andrew Gillies once wrote a poem called The Two Prayers, and I'll end with this. It says, last night, my little boy confessed to me some childish wrong, and kneeling at my knee, he prayed with tears, dear God, make me a man like daddy, wise and strong. I know you can. Then he slept. I knelt beside his bed, confessed my sins and prayed with low bowed head. O oh God, make me a child like my child here, pure, guileless, trusting thee with faith sincere. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.